History Helmet. Hello and welcome to the History Helmet podcast. This week we're looking at Henry VIII and his six, yes, six wives. So who was Henry VIII? Well, Henry VIII was the King of England from the 22nd of April, 1509, until his death in 1547. He became King of England when he was just 18 years old, after his father, who was also called Henry, and was known as, perhaps unsurprisingly, Henry VII, died of tuberculosis. Henry VIII was an intelligent and sporty youth. He could speak Latin, Spanish, French, as a native, and English, of course. He also was a keen musician. He composed many of his own pieces. Some people think he is the composer of the tune Green Sleeves, but it could just be speculation. He also played tennis, he wrestled, and was a keen archer. He is, though, perhaps most famous for his six marriages, and then his huge appetite for food, merriment, wine, women and song. Um, his row with the Pope as well um, makes him quite memorable. It was Pope Clement VII who refused Henry an annulment to his first marriage to Catherine of Aragon. This row resulted in Henry sticking two fingers up to the Catholic Church, kicking off the English Reformation and breaking away from Rome which released the Church of England from the authority of the Pope in Rome. Henry then appointed himself as the big boss of the Church of England and dissolved monasteries and convents in England. For this, he was excommunicated from the Catholic Church. But Henry also did a lot for the Royal Navy, throwing money at them and building their strength over his lifetime by a factor of ten. It was also Henry who fiddled about with the English Constitution, which, unlike the American Constitution, isn't written down anywhere, really. He introduced the concept of the divine right of kings and increased the power wielded by the throne. To keep order and maintain his power, Henry was happy to throw charges of treason or heresy at anyone foolish enough to publicly challenge him. The penalty for both of these crimes being a one-way trip to the chopping block without the burden of a trial. Working for Henry was a tightrope act at the best of times, and even long-serving ministers and friends found themselves literally getting the axe should they fall from grace. The most famous of these perhaps being Sir Thomas More, but that's a tale for another episode. Henry married his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, in 1509, a little over two weeks before he was crowned king. The next woman he married was Anne Boleyn in 1533. Then came Jane Seymour in 1536, Anne of Cleves in 1540, Catherine Howard also in 1540, and finally Catherine Parr in 1543. Now you may have noticed some overlap there and raised a knowing eyebrow because, yes, Henry was married six times, as we well know. But, despite what everyone thinks, he did not have each one of his six wives beheaded. In his defence, it was only two of his spouses whom he executed, which, judging by today's standards, I grant you, is still above average. So, who lost their head and who died in their bed? Who got the chop 
and who got to shop, or who was decapitated and who was emancipated. Uh, okay, I think I'll leave it there. Basically, which of his wives was spared from ever again having to make a hairdresser's appointment? And why did he go through so many wives anyway? I mean, I'm married, and I can tell you, once is enough for any man. So let's get into it. First off, it's the 16th century. What else is going on? Let's get some perspective. Ferdinand Magellan organized an expedition in this century, which became the first to successfully circumnavigate the globe. The Aztec civilization came to a sad end under the boot heel of Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés. But on the upside, the scientific revolution got underway when Copernicus stuck his head above the wire and put forward the controversial theory that the Earth revolved around the Sun, not the other way around. Now, royal marriage in the 16th century was not all about falling in love and choosing the person you wish to spend your life with. Marriages were, on the whole, arranged and were often the result of political and financial calculation. The bride and even the groom would, more often than not, have no say whatsoever in who they were to marry. Their parents or advisors would tell them, oh, by the way, uh, you're going to get married on Thursday to the King of France, so don't go making any plans, okay? Marriages were a way to consolidate power and secure the continuation of royal lines. They were also a way to climb the greasy social ladder for courtiers. To find out why Henry VIII had more weddings than the Las Vegas chapel on New Year's Eve, we have to go back to his father, Henry VII. Henry VII had not come to the throne by way of succession. His claim, as rightful heir to the throne of England, was tenuous at best, and he only became king by literally winning the crown. He slew Richard III, that's the one with the hump, at the Battle of Bosworth Field in 1485, after which he proclaimed himself king by the just title of inheritance, and by way as a backup, the judgment of none other than God himself. He said, God wants me to be king of England. Yeah, I'm sure he does. His logic was that he had beaten Richard in battle. He couldn't have done this without God letting it happen. Therefore, God was on his team. Henry VII was the first king of the House of Tudor, or dynasty of Tudor. In a nutshell, his name was Henry Tudor, and he was the first of his lot to become king. Having gone to so much trouble to get on the throne, Henry was understandably eager to keep a firm grip upon it. How could he ensure that the Tudors would remain the royal dynasty of England? By having sons who could take over the family business, that's how. Daughters were good too for marrying off and forging political alliances abroad, but sons were needed to stay at home, carry on the name, wear the crown and ensure political stability in the kingdom. Henry VII's oldest son was called Arthur, and he married a lady named Catherine of Aragon in 1501. Catherine of Aragon was the daughter of the King of Aragon and the Queen of Castile, who, by marrying, had joined their kingdoms and created what we now know today as Spain. It was also this royal couple who bankrolled Columbus on his voyage of discovery in 1492. Marrying into such a prestigious family 
was a great coup for Henry Tudor, as an alliance with another royal line lent credibility to his own claim to the crown of England. Sadly, a year after getting married, Henry's eldest son, Arthur, was dead from an English sweating sickness, which was actually a viral respiratory illness. He had only been 15 years old. Henry VII, along with the Tudor dynasty, was left in a precarious position. He now needed a son of rightful age to take over should he, Henry, die suddenly or other claimants to the crown launch any assault on the Tudor line. Luckily, Henry VII had another son, only 10 years old at the time of Arthur's death. He was also called Henry. This is the guy who would grow up to become Henry VIII. So, thinking quickly, Henry VII wangled a special papal dispensation from the Pope to allow his second son, Henry, to marry Catherine of Aragon, the same woman whom Arthur had married. He didn't get married straight away, of course, he was only 10 years old, but he would when he came of age. Side note here, in the 16th century, boys in royal houses could get married at the age of like 13 or 14, especially if there was a future in it for their family, a political alliance to be made. Girls and boys were betrothed from a very young age, sometimes even from birth. Their whole life was mapped out for them in advance. Henry Tudor knew a good thing when he saw it, and he didn't want to give back the dowry that had come with Catherine. On Catherine's part, this suited her too. The promise of a marriage to the future King of England was better than an uncertain future back in Hispania. Henry VII died in 1509 at the age of 52, and the now 17-year-old Henry VIII took his place as king. Just two weeks before his coronation, he married his brother's widow, Catherine. The Tudor line continued. First order of business, of course, was to get Catherine of Aragon in the club, up the duff, pregnant, to start producing male heirs for Henry and strengthen the Tudor line. Catherine gave birth in 1510 to a stillborn daughter. In 1511, she gave birth to a son, who died when just a few weeks old. In 1513, she had another son, who died even sooner after being born. In 1515, she gave birth to another stillborn son. Only one of Catherine and Henry's children would survive, a daughter, Mary, born in 1516. Poor old Catherine. I'm well aware that it's a massive understatement to say that childbirth is not easy, even in these modern times, but back then, to go through so much and to lose every one of your children so soon, just awful. Henry must have carried a heavy burden of sadness too, but also had to shoulder the weight of responsibility. He needed an heir to carry on the Tudor name, and although he publicly celebrated the birth of his daughter Mary, he couldn't bring himself to hide his disappointment behind closed doors. The only reason Henry had married Catherine of Aragon in the first place was because she had been promised as so very fertile. Perhaps an equal amount of blame for Catherine's inability to produce healthy male heirs 
lay with Henry. Despite his union with Catherine being ostensibly a happy one, Henry had had mistresses pretty much from the start of their marriage. Side note, this was no big deal and considered quite normal behaviour for a young virile king and after all, mistresses were easier to get rid of than queens. All the same, it must have had a negative effect on Catherine's well-being. She suffered in silence and let him get on with it. Henry actually fathered a possible, albeit at the time illegitimate, male heir with one mistress, Elizabeth Blount, in 1519. He gave the boy, named Henry Fitzroy, the title of Duke of Richmond when he was just six years old, in a move towards what some thought to be legitimization of the boy. In 1533, the now 14-year-old love child got married, but died childless in 1536. So desperate was Henry VIII for a male heir, that at the time of Fitzroy's death, Parliament was actually considering passing a law which could have allowed him to become king. With so much bad luck producing healthy offspring with Catherine, Henry came to seriously believe that God was punishing him for marrying his brother's widow. There was even a passage in the book of Leviticus in the Bible which states, If a man shall take his brother's wife, it is an unclean thing. He hath uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. Henry believed every word, because in those days, if it was in the Bible, then it had to be true. But in fact, this damning excerpt may have been a blessing in disguise, as Henry could present it as proof that his union with Catherine was cursed, and use it as leverage with the church to get the marriage dissolved. Needless to say, Catherine was not so hot on the idea of being tossed aside with her daughter Mary. Catherine was a Catholic, and not just Catholic, but Catholic with a vengeance. So she was totally against the notion of divorce too. And what's more, used the argument that her marriage to Henry's older brother, Arthur, had not even been consummated, meaning that they had never got it on, and therefore had not been a valid union. But Henry was a force of nature and not used to being refused anything. He petitioned the Pope, Clement VII, to get an annulment from Catherine of Aragon on the grounds that his marriage to his brother's widow was an abomination in the eyes of God. The Pope was not playing ball though. And even if he had wanted to grant Henry an annulment, Rome at the time was under the control of the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V, who happened to be Catherine of Aragon's nephew. He was never going to allow his aunt's marriage to break up. Eventually, Henry had a thought. He realised that he was the king and kings can bloody well do what they like. He told the Pope to get stuffed and formed the Church of England, making himself the head. Over the next few years, Henry set about looting the vast wealth of the monasteries in England and sending his fixer, Thomas Cromwell, around to put monks, abbots and nuns across the land in their place, i.e. under Henry's thumb. The vast estates owned by the monasteries were sold, and fearing foreign invasion, Henry used the wealth to build a network of new castles around the coast of England. Enter future wife number two, Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn was the daughter of Henry's ambassador to the Holy Roman Empire, 
Thomas Bolin. Side note, the Holy Roman Empire was a feudal monarchy that included the modern-day Germany, Austria, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, the Czech and Slovak republics, as well as parts of eastern France, northern Italy, Slovenia and western Poland. Through her father's connections, Anne had from a young age been lady-in-waiting at royal courts in the Netherlands and France, and eventually was part of Queen Catherine's entourage. She had, through her experience abroad, been given a wonderful education in the arts, fashion, poetry, dancing, music, and the indispensable art of using her sexuality to manipulate men into doing her bidding. Henry had already reportedly fathered two children with Anne's older sister, Mary, also a lady-in-waiting to Catherine, by the time he began to make moves on Anne in 1525. But Anne was a shrewd one, and made it perfectly clear to Henry that there was no way she was going to give up the goods like her sister Mary had without Henry first making her queen. She played Henry like a lute, like she played most men she encountered. She drove him wild with lust, and he became obsessed with her. Henry knew that the only way he was ever going to get anywhere with Anne Boleyn was to give Catherine the elbow and install Anne in her place. It took him about seven years to eventually do this, but he finally managed it, and in late 1532, Henry married Anne Boleyn in a secret ceremony after having had Catherine turfed out from court, her rooms also being turned over to Anne. Then in May 1533, after much wrangling, Henry's marriage to Catherine was officially, and more importantly, legally dissolved. A mere four days later, Anne was crowned Queen Consort. In September of that year, she gave birth to a baby girl, Elizabeth. At the time, no one could have guessed that this baby Elizabeth was to become Queen Elizabeth I in 1559. Even though Henry could now pretty much do whatever he liked, there was the problem of Anne's acceptance as Queen in court, in England as a whole, and the rest of Europe. If Henry couldn't get people to see her as the Queen, then the validity of any heirs she may produce was in serious doubt. Catherine of Aragon and the daughter she had had with Henry, Princess Mary, were still in the eyes of many the rightful Queen and heir to the throne. Henry, who basically had Catherine of Aragon under house arrest, offered Catherine and his daughter Mary a deal by which they would be granted greater freedom if they were only to acknowledge Anne Boleyn as queen. And he also wanted Mary to give up any claim to the throne. They both refused, much to Henry's anger. In 1534, the Act of Supremacy made Henry the head of the Church of England. The same year, the Act of Succession was passed. It declared that Anne Boleyn's child would be heir to the throne. Then, in 1535, Catherine of Aragon died. Henry and Anne were jubilant and celebrated by wearing bright yellow clothing. Henry did not attend the funeral and believed that he was now free. But, in reality, he had just exchanged the millstone that had been Catherine of Aragon for another in the shape of Anne Boleyn. Anne, like Henry, 
was a force to be reckoned with, and she pushed her new husband to go his own way and break from Catholic Europe. But although Henry VIII had broken away from Rome by ditching Catherine of Aragon and marrying Anne Boleyn, he basically kept the Catholic religion in England the same as it had been before. It would be later, in 1538, that Chancellor Thomas Cromwell would make some small reforms. In 1538, he ordered that every church should have an English translation of the Bible, which up to that point had been forbidden. He also declared that any images of idolatry be taken down in churches. Henry was the only idol to be worshipped in England from now on. After a couple of years of marriage, Henry found that he was beginning to tire of Anne Boleyn and her constant nagging. Well, I can understand that. She was nothing if not ambitious and was clearly unsatisfied with just being a housewife slash queen. Henry had the whole time been carrying on with other women, but Anne, unlike the more stoic Catherine of Aragon, was not one to put up with it. This, coupled with the fact that Anne still had not produced a male heir, though not for her lack of trying, she had, like Catherine of Aragon, had several miscarriages, led to Anne's star not just waning, but positively plummeting to earth. Through her Machiavellian and coquettish ways, Anne had managed to put more than just a couple of noses out of joint on her way up the greasy royal pole. Her enemies began circulating around court rumours that she had had affairs with other men whilst being married to Henry. Henry got to hear of these rumours and was apoplectic. Not least because the five men in question included Henry's best friend and Anne Boleyn's own brother. <laughs> In May 1536, Henry had the five men accused of rolling with Bolin beheaded, and Anne Boleyn was charged with treason, adultery and incest. The penalty for these crimes was to be burned at the stake, but Henry, being such a sentimental old soul, decided that Anne Boleyn could be decapitated instead. What a softy. All joking aside, though, that is a much better option when you think about it. I mean, if you had to choose... I know which one I would go for. Now, Henry was still in need of a male heir, so he grabbed hold of another lady-in-waiting. It makes you wonder what these ladies were actually waiting around for. Uh, and he re-embarked on his campaign to plant the royal seed. This new girl, Jane Seymour, had been a lady-in-waiting to Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn, and must have read the same article in Cosmopolitan as Anne Boleyn, How to Snare a King, Ten quick and dirty tips. Like Anne Boleyn, she promised the king a very warm reception if he would just make her his queen. Henry must have had some serious deja vu at this point and once again found himself unable to temper his desire. He had to have her. Jane Seymour's family was a large one, which was a good sign in terms of fertility, and the homely and practical Jane was a refreshing change from the conniving and self-serving Anne Boleyn. Eleven days after the execution of Anne Boleyn, Henry and Jane Seymour were married. Jane Seymour was 27, Henry 45. Jane did not get involved in Henry's business, official or extramarital, as Anne had, 
and in contrast, was regarded by the man on the street as a genuinely good person. Deeds like convincing Henry to allow his daughter Mary, the daughter of Catherine of Aragon, back into court endeared her to many. Jane actually became very close with her stepdaughter. There were only eight years between them. Now, it was around this time that Henry's illegitimate son, Henry Fitzroy, died, and once again, Henry was without a male heir. Fortunately, Jane Seymour stepped up and announced her pregnancy in early 1537. In September 1537, Jane gave birth to a boy, Edward, and though the boy survived, just one month after the birth, Jane died from complications connected with the three-day labour she had battled through, bringing Henry's son into the world. Henry was at first inconsolable, probably because Jane Seymour had given him a son and then popped off before he could tire of her, which he undoubtedly would have. Jane may have been more reliable, trustworthy and inoffensive than Anne Boleyn, but another word to describe her might be boring. It is said that of all his wives, Henry liked Jane the most. Well, I'm sure we all have memories of holiday romances, which in our mind were perfect in every way, perfect only because they were short-lived, and the person in question wasn't around long enough to begin annoying the shit out of us. Perhaps I'm being a bit cynical. Perhaps not. Anyway, Jane was dead, and Henry ensured Mary, from Catherine of Aragon, and Elizabeth, from Anne Boleyn, were by law declared illegitimate. Edward was to be the future king, and in any case, Henry had granted himself the right, enshrined in law, to name his successor should Edward die before his time. But Henry still needed a spare to have at hand in case Edward did die. Child mortality rates in Tudor times were dangerously high, and not long after Jane Seymour's death, he was on the sniff for the next Mrs. Henry VIII. This time, Henry's fixer, Thomas Cromwell, suggested a wife from continental Europe. Anne of Cleves, a German princess, was chosen. Anne's brother, the Duke of Cleves, was a leader of the Protestants of Western Germany, and the alliance was considered to be wise, as at this time, 1539, it seemed that Catholic France and the Holy Roman Empire were about to gang up on Protestant England and launch an attack. Now, Henry wanted to know what he was signing up for, and so Anne of Cleves had her picture painted by Hans Holbein and sent to the king for his approval. Kind of like a very slow and one-sided Tudor version of Tinder. Henry fell in love with her portrait and summoned her to him. On New Year's Day, 1540, Anne of Cleves arrived in England to meet Henry for their blind date. Well, it was more than that, actually. The wedding had already been arranged and took place on January the 6th. Henry, though, was not happy. He went ahead with the wedding, but complained that Anne's portrait looked nothing like her. He felt duped and apparently gave her nothing more on their wedding night than a peck on the cheek before retiring to his bedchamber alone. Or not alone. He probably had some lady-in-waiting waiting in his bedchamber. Henry soon grew fed up with Anne of Cleves, who, he claimed, was unsophisticated and could barely speak a word of English. 
though I'm sure if she had been a real looker and a little more buxom, he would have soldiered on with the marriage. Henry requested an annulment on the grounds that Anne was already betrothed to another, which she kind of had been. Anne did not protest and stated, in any case, that the union had never been consummated. So Anne of Cleves became the fourth ex-wife of Henry VIII. Clever girl not kicking up a fuss, though, because she was rewarded with a massive pile of cash and given a castle to live in. The castle was actually the former home of the Boleyn family. <laughs> oh dear. Anne was given the name the King's Sister and became a genuine friend to Henry and his children. She outlived the King and all his wives, eventually dying from cancer. She was buried in Westminster Abbey, a great honour. On to the next wife, number five, Catherine Howard. Henry had had his eye on Catherine Howard since she was about 16, the dirty beggar. She was niece to the Duke of Norfolk, who was Cromwell's nemesis. So naturally, Cromwell was against the match. But whatever Henry wanted, Henry got, and eventually he got Catherine Howard. Thomas Cromwell gets beheaded for reasons which are not completely clear around the same time. Cromwell could have been doing some dodgy dealings on the side for his own gain and was charged with treason. It's possible that the Duke of Norfolk, using his niece Catherine Howard as leverage, gained the king's ear and poisoned Cromwell's name. But it could be that Henry simply resented him for setting him up with Anne of Cleves. Henry married this girl, Catherine Howard, because she was just a girl, being only 18 to his 49, on the same day that Cromwell was beheaded. You'd think he would have been a little more reluctant to get involved with her, as she was the first cousin of none other than Anne Boleyn, and had been a maid of honour to Anne of Cleves at their wedding. Anyway, Henry was besotted with her, and gifted her a large amount of land, which had been Thomas Cromwell's, and jewellery, which I don't think had been Thomas Cromwell's. However, in December 1541, it came to Henry's attention that Catherine had been, and was being, unfaithful. She had had numerous affairs before marrying Henry, he had believed she was a virgin, and had been carrying on with her own cousin, Thomas Culpepper, after marrying Henry. Was she stupid? Did she not know what kind of guy Henry was, really? What did she think was going to happen when he found out? Laugh about it and forgive her? Well, you can guess what happened next. Yeah, he cut her head off. He also passed a law which made it an act of treason for a woman to falsely claim to be a virgin and marry the king. Catherine Howard was beheaded on February 13th, 1542, the day before Valentine's Day. <sighs> That's got to hurt. So now Henry has got five wives in his rearview mirror, but he still hasn't learned his lesson. If it were me, at this point, I think I would just stick to the ladies-in-waiting. But Henry being Henry, he starts to think about how nice it would be to get married again. This guy just does not know when to stop. Henry was by now, bloated, arthritic, prone to mood swings, and, as everyone knew, a philanderer. He'd been married five times, four of his marriages had failed, 
four of his ex-wives were dead, and two of them were at his behest. He is hardly what you would call a catch. Pretty much the only thing he has going for him is the fact that he's King of England, which, I grant you, is a pretty big thing. Enter stage left, the wealthy widow Catherine Parr, whom Henry married in July 1543. You can imagine the scene as Henry tried to woo her. He would have said, Oh, uh, Catherine, eh? That's such a lovely name. Two of my ex-wives were called Catherine. Ex-wives? Yes, I've got five ex-wives. Oh, really? Yep, that's right. First one, she was called Catherine. Dried up old prune. She's dead now anyway, thank God. Celebrated the day she went. And the last one, I've just got rid of her. She was called Catherine too. You divorced her, my lord. Uh, in a way, cut her head off. She had it coming anyway, just like the other one who I beheaded. The other one? Yeah, the other one. I don't seem to have much luck with wives. They either turn out to be incapable of providing me with a son, pig ugly, or completely untrustworthy. Anyway, enough about me, enough about the past. Would you like to get married? Amazingly, she did, and accepted his offer. Catherine Parr was a fiery one. She even dared argue with Henry over religion, urging him to reform the Church of England. Catherine Parr also acted as a kind of peacemaker and nursemaid, looking after Henry in his final years and helping build bridges between him and his daughters, Mary and Elizabeth. Perhaps Henry was growing softer with age. Perhaps it was his growing sense of mortality that made him sentimental and forgiving. Perhaps it was Catherine Parr's influence. But in 1543, the Third Succession Act reinstated Mary and Elizabeth in the line of succession to the throne, after Edward, of course. I don't think there was any question of Catherine Parr providing Henry with an heir, as she was probably a bit past it at this time, and certainly was not a virgin, because she had been married twice before, and Henry was having all sorts of problems with his crown jewels and scepter. She acted more as a companion to a very middle-aged Henry. From the time of his last marriage, and probably before, Henry's health was failing. Back in 1536, he had had an accident whilst jousting, which had left him in a very bad way. A wound on his leg had never properly healed, and it is also believed that the accident left him with an untreated brain injury, which would account for his irrational temper and erratic personality in later life. After this jousting accident, he stopped taking exercise and became a semi-invalid. So began the quick decline into obesity. In the last years of his life, Henry was covered with pus-filled boils. He most likely had gout and had constant pain from an ulcer on his leg, which doctors just could not cure. Henry died on the 28th of January, 1547, at the age of 55. He was buried in St. George's Chapel in Windsor Castle, which is still there to this day. Shortly before he died, Henry made plans for an allowance for Catherine Parr to the tune of £7,000, just shy of $3 million US in modern-day money. He would pay her this per year so she would be able to support herself. 
he also decreed that after his death, Catherine be given the proper respect of a Queen of England and was to be treated as if he, Henry, was still alive. Catherine retired from court after the coronation of her stepson, Edward VI, on the 31st of January, 1547. Catherine, surprisingly, then went on to marry again, her fourth marriage. Jane Seymour's uncle, of all people, became her husband, and Catherine became pregnant. She actually gave birth in August 1548. Unfortunately, though, like Jane Seymour, Catherine succumbed to complications suffered whilst giving birth. She died about a week later. So there we have it. The final score. Wives six, children three, legitimate children that is. Henry had loads of kids on the wrong side of the blanket. Catherine of Aragon, annulled. Anne Boleyn, executed. Jane Seymour, died. Anne of Cleves, annulled. Catherine Howard, executed. And Catherine Parr survived him, only just. Okay, that's it for this week. See you next time. Off we go. 